So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, the promises you spoke, and the power with which you confirmed them. And I pray, Lord, as we turn our attention now to, to your word today, to us, Lord, that you would speak through me, through these simple words I've prepared on the page, that it would be more than that. That even now, you would be working in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, stirring within us, drawing us to you, helping us to remember where we've been, where we are now, where we're headed. And God, that this morning would be an opportunity to remember this day forever. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. In a way, we're moving backwards through uh, the story. Look at the beginning of our service. We kick things off by singing to our risen, reigning King Jesus, who is in heaven right now, reigning over all the universe. We sing, till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. And then I invited the children to come down and, and listen to what happened on Resurrection Sunday. And then uh, the choir just now drew us back further, back to, to Good Friday at Calvary. And as, as they sang, near the cross and the power of the cross. And now, we've just read John chapter 14. We've moved back another day, back to Thursday of Holy Week. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet and delivered to them disturbing news that he would be leaving soon. Going back, remembering, recalling, asking folks to retell their stories is a vital part of pastoral counseling. When I sit down with a couple uh, to plan uh, for their wedding, and, and my first priority is to help them plan for, for their marriage, the first question I ask is, how did you meet how did you know this was the one? And when I meet with a family whose loved one has died, and we're planning the memorial service, there's all the aspects of the planning and, and logistics, but the most rich time, the most meaningful time is when I ask them to, to go back, to remember, to recall some of their favorite stories of their loved one. So what I'm asking us to do this morning is to go back and to recall the historical account of Jesus with his friends, calming their nerves upon hearing of his impending departure. Now, the last time you heard uh, this text of Jesus going to prepare a place, rooms, maybe the King James Version you heard, of mansions being prepared, it was probably during a funeral service. Am I right? Maybe you've heard it uh, in a sermon, but I venture to guess You've never heard this text read at a wedding, right? Right? Well, just listen, and, and let's explore this together. I think you'll be surprised what I found out as I dug a little deeper. Picture the scene. Gathered around the Passover table, they're in Jerusalem. The atmosphere was joyful. This was a celebration of of remembering God's deliverance out of slavery, out of Egypt, of his people. But then Jesus says to his friends, I'm leaving soon. And he says, I'm going to be betrayed and that I'll be denied. So knowing their thoughts, knowing how upsetting this announcement was and how 
disturbed they must have been, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What Jesus said that night has long been a source of comfort to Christians during a time of loss and in a funeral, remembering of our hope in heaven. But these words also have everything to do with living in the here and now as disciples of Jesus in the absence of his physical presence. A big surprise to me, but probably not to his first disciples who heard these words, was that they are recalling for them not a funeral, but a wedding. Because Jesus' words here echo the first century Jewish betrothal ceremony. I go to prepare a place for you. A Jewish wedding began with a betrothal. A betrothal is is an agreement that a man and woman would be married at a future date. It was more than an engagement at that time. Two people can be engaged, they can become unengaged here and now, and that can be painful and and expensive too if you've already put down money for for a, a venue. But in the first century, it would be illegal to break a betrothal. The service involved a covenant between the bride and the groom. The groom would leave his father and mother's house and go to the bride's home and would settle on a purchase price with her father. Sorry, ladies, that's, that's how it was done back then. There was a, a price, and they would figure out how much that price was. So we'll leave the commentary for another time. But when the price was agreed on, technically the marriage went into effect. The covenant then was sealed by the drinking of a cup of wine, and the betrothal blessing was spoken. So imagine the bride and groom are there at her parents' house. They're eye to eye. Uh, They're facing one another with this cup of wine. The groom holds the cup and says, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare it, I will come again and take you to where I am, that you may be with me also. The groom promises to return. He leaves, and then for the next year or so, he he prepares a new home. Wherever he's from, whatever village or town he's from, he prepares their new home while the bride is preparing herself for the wedding. And then at the end of that waiting period, the groom returns with his best man, and the best man proceeds into the town or the village or wherever they're living with the shout, Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now, bells should be going off in our minds right now, hearing that and then understanding the context of the text. And I think those bells would have been going going off for Jesus' disciples as well. The wedding party would take about seven days. Can you imagine a seven-day party? And they they knew how to celebrate. We just have, what do we have, you know, 
the ladies are getting makeup all day, then you have the wedding, and everyone's tired by midnight, you want to just go home. Seven days of having a party. And the special ceremony that kicked off that seven-day party revolved around the word take. The groom went to his bride, the bride's house and takes her. And that's where we get the expression, to take a wife. That's where it comes from. Can you hear what Jesus is saying right now? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was the forerunner. And he was referring to himself in John chapter 3, 29. He referred to himself as the best man of the groom. He saw himself as one announcing the arrival of the groom. Saying he is the bridegroom of the people of God. And on the cross, he paid the ultimate price by grace in full for the people of God. So Christ has made the long journey from his father's house to our house. He spoke the words of covenant, a forever promise. He paid the price for our sin, your sin, my sin, the world's sin, which was his own sinless life. He died, but he rose up from the grave, defeating our greatest enemies and our greatest fears, evil, sin, and death. And now he says, I'm coming to take my own. These words are so familiar, so comforting to us in a funeral. We listen to them and think, yes, okay. They are amazing, grace-filled wedding announcements. What was promised to the patriarchs? What was revealed in the Torah, the law? What was shown to us in the sacrificial system? What was told to us by the prophets? What was sung about in the Psalms? It's here. It's done. He lived a perfectly righteous life so that you and I can stand blameless before God his Father on that great day. That's what we're celebrating this morning. And he's gone now. He's gone to prepare a place for us in his father's house. A song we used to sing, a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, big, big table with lots and lots of food. And he promises to take us to where he is. And in the meantime, the union is in effect, sealed by the Holy Spirit, so that right now, if you are a Christian, you are living in relationship with Christ. You are united to Christ in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as you both shall live. And Jesus Christ is going to live a very, very long time. The outcome is not up for grabs. Now, I love that hearing all of this great news and all these bells going off and, and all of that, I love that there are questions raised right away. Questions raised by two of his very own, two guys that were with him for years. That, that gives me hope that Jesus welcomes my questions and your questions. It's okay to ask questions and to, to have doubts. If we didn't have Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, we wouldn't have this Wonderful promise of Christ. Thomas uh, says he doesn't know the way. 
Jesus, how can we know the way? Tell me what to do. And we want to be told, just, just tell me what to do. Just give me a list of five steps or, or seven or three or 90 days or something. Just tell me what to do. Give me some more instructions. And Philip, Philip wants hard evidence. He wants proof. He says, Jesus, you're, you're great. You're, you're great. But it would be really helpful if you gave me just a little bit more proof. If I could just see the Father, that would be enough. Thomas wants better directions. Philip wants a better and bigger proof. And what Jesus does is he speaks with clarity and love into their troubled hearts. Like he's speaking to you right now or to me, right where you sit. Not hammering away. Not saying, how, how could you doubt? But he speaks with love and clarity. And he says, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to my father's house except through my invitation. And the instruction is this. Follow me. Trust me. Live this new life with me at the center. And to Philip, he says, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the face of God. Believe me, or, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so we have here only the person and the work, only and everything that we need, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And only the person and the work of Jesus Christ can truly calm our fears and calm our heart. Take heart, he says, John 16, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Then he says these words, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He's saying, if you put your trust in me, you join my church Together in the church, you have access to power to do greater things than I did on earth. That's where my own doubts come in. Really? Greater than feeding thousands and healing people, than restoring life, than rising from the great, greater Jesus? Really? The evidence for the resurrection is historically categorically persuasive. The empty tomb, hundreds of living witnesses who reported seeing Jesus after he died, and then the massive, explosive growth of Christianity that spread across all of the Roman Empire. But at the end of the day, what we have and all that we need is his word to go on. To trust in what he says. His disciples would not lit up. No matter the suffering, the, the persecution they experienced, there were others that claimed to be a Messiah, and as soon as that Messiah was, was killed or executed, everyone ran. But something happened with this small band of brothers and sisters. In fact, their reaction when they were persecuted was to meet and to pray all the more. 
thanking Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for counting me worthy of suffering for your name's sake. That's only by grace. That's only by Jesus. Well, what difference does all this make for you here and now? Here this morning, April 20th, the year of our Lord, 2014. What difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. Because you can live a new life starting today, right now. This can be the day. Because someday someone will ask you, so how did you meet Jesus? When did you know he was the one? I guess I met him in Sunday school, and we don't really hang out very much. I I, I guess we're, we're in some kind of covenant. I don't know, but I'll see him eventually. No, today can be the day, the fresh start, the beginning of a new chapter in your relationship with God. You can know God's amazing grace today and accept his proposal. All these beautiful flowers were donated by all of you in loving memory and honor of dearly departed loved ones. And the list is in the bulletin. I encourage you to, to, to look there and, and uh, pray for, for, for your friends around you who've donated these beautiful flowers. But these beautiful flowers will fade. Our memories don't leave us. But what we are left with is only precious memories. And our hearts are troubled because of loved ones that we have lost, loved ones who have been taken from us. I have a loved one who was taken from me. But if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, your heart can be lifted up that while you and I are remembering the past, you know what he's doing? He's preparing for our future. While we're considering all the things that were taken from us, he's saying, I'm going to restore all things, make them all new, bright, and beautiful. The Apostle Paul had to write, he said, I prefer prefer to go home to the Lord, but I am here to do his bidding. And that's what we are here for, for God's will to be done, to do God's will, to pray that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's, That's our job. Our job as a church is to to be used by God to prepare the way. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, to the church, the bride of Christ, he writes, the bride of Christ, the message of reconciliation, patching things up. The gospel is very simple. Repent. That means to turn away from your old life and believe in Jesus and his sacrifice, that it was of supreme grace. And the resurrection power that raised him from the grave raises us to new life and be baptized in his name. Christians can still be hurt. We still carry scars, absolutely. Just as Jesus carried his scars back to heaven. He is now with the Father, reigning. He still has his scars. But we can and are empowered to live a new life today. We can start practicing what it will be like in heaven one day. If you can't dance 
you're going to learn to dance. If you can't sing one day, you will add your voice to the heavenly choir. Do you feel empty, alone? Is your health fading away? In Christ, all that and more will be filled up and supplied and rectified. But all of those are results of what is most essential, new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let's begin today. Please join me in prayer.